What an incredible morning here at Northside. Right now, students are packing 613 Thanksgiving baskets for needy families in our area. It's truly a church-wide event, though. We have the youngest children involved coloring uh, Thanksgiving cards for each family. We've had students help load the boxes and uh, distribution. Families of all ages, young adults through senior adults, have been involved with preparation, planning, making phone calls, and delivering. This Thanksgiving basket began as a small outreach of Mission Columbia years ago at the West Columbia location. But this year, we are preparing 613 boxes for food to be distributed to those in the community in need. We're working with two school districts this year rather than one, who provided many more names than ever before. These are names of families that school leadership, uh, guidance counselors know are in need. Each basket and each of these families have been prayed over. Yeah, you know, our reason for doing this project is, one, to share the love of Christ in a tangible way. You know, simply to bless a family in need during the holidays with a nice Thanksgiving meal. But more importantly, to share the gospel and give hope to these families. Our own members are spending their Sunday afternoon personally delivering these baskets to these families. It gives us an opportunity to meet them, to share with them a blessing from us to them. And we're going to pray with them. We're going to invite them to join us for worship on Sunday. And as huge as this project has become, it is also very personal and ministers to all involved. What a blessing it is to hear the stories and see the joy on the face of the recipients. And even more, knowing that some of these folks will now know the hope of Jesus and that their lives will be transformed from dark to light, from despair in some situations to the hope of Jesus Christ. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks. To the Holy One, give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his son. So now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich because of what the Lord. For us, give thanks. Bless the name of Jesus. Bless the name of Jesus. Give thanks. Oh, How incredible, 613 baskets delivered to 613 families. Way to go, Northside. What an incredible job y'all did this Thanksgiving.
You know, the, the title of this message is The Power of Thanksgiving, and really, just that video enough tells us the power of Thanksgiving, of sharing the blessings that we have with others. You know, I just love this time of the year, don't you? I mean, they say it is the happiest time of the year. Don't you feel that way? Unless you serve in retail. Yeah. How many of you serve in retail? Let me see. You or have served in retail. Oh, my goodness. You know that this time of the year is one of the toughest times of the year if you serve in retail. I had served in retail for 20 years, working at a Burger King. Yeah, and I guarantee you hardly anybody came to me ever and said, wow, y'all are doing such an awesome job here. God bless you. Hardly anyone. Those who've worked in retail, if you get more complaints than you do appreciation, raise your hand. It's about the same number, right? Because people are prone to complain. That is how we are made. It is so easy. And today, complaining, complaining is as easy as a click of the button. I mean, literally, you, because of social media, with one click of the button could complain to 100 people. That's right. You could just simply, you know, one of them frowny faces, one of them angry faces, one of those faces you see on your listening guide goes out and you've complained to a hundred, maybe a thousand. I don't know how popular you are. If you complain right after a tweet from President Trump, you will have complained to a million people. Wow, what power. That's a negative power, but there's power truly in thanksgiving. But sometimes it's hard for us to grasp that and to realize that. Because, man, it's so easy to complain. I mean, Gamecock fans are complaining this morning. And uh, And if you were a Clemson fan, you were complaining during the first half because of a bad call, right? It's just so easy to complain about anything. Because in this world, these things that we see, these negative things, they're right in front of us. And so we complain. But the thing that we need to realize is the most important things about you and about me, they're great. They're wonderful. In fact, probably, well, it's more than nine-tenths, but let's say nine-tenths. Nine-tenths of your life is absolutely awesome. It's just this little small part that sometimes is bad, right? You know, I put on your listening guide, nine-tenths is greater than one-tenth, and then it occurred to me, there are people who are horrible in math, and they're not going to get this at all. (laughs) I said, i got to do something different. So that's why I brought this. Big ball. What was that? Oh, it's got something in it. (laughs) This is a big ball. So this big ball is your eternity. All the good things that God has done for you. All the blessings. This is represented by the big ball. This little ball. Okay? This is the tough stuff. This is your earthly existence and the bad things that are part of your earthly existence. But you know what our problem is? What do we focus on? We focus on this little stinker right here. And we look at it and say, the ball is so awful. Woe is me. It is so awful. And God is saying, man, I got all this stuff here for you. Look at this. I can't see it. I'm looking at the little ball. 
And that's what Paul writes to the Philippians. See, the Philippians were a church, or a great church, but in this letter, Paul is talking to them about rejoicing, being thankful, having thanksgiving. But there were some that were complaining, and so he writes, and let's look at this in Philippians chapter 2. It says, do everything. That means everything in the Greek, the Latin, and the English. Everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. And then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life. Pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice. And I will share your joy. You know, this church is the same church that, that if you read in Acts, it had Lydia, who was a very wealthy person, had the Philippian jailer. You probably remember that story where uh, all the, the uh, prison opened up, all the chains were unshackled, and, and the Philippian jailer came to Christ. There was a servant girl possessed by a demon that she was delivered. And all of these were a part of the Philippian church. But even though we see these lives, these ones who were saved by the power of Jesus Christ, there was still in this church, in this early church, grumbling and complaining. And so Paul tells him, do not do that. Now, here is the issue, okay? Here's the issue. This little ball, this little part of our earthly existence, it, it can really stink, can it? I mean, come on. That's why we complain. I mean, in this little ball, we see death, we see pain, we see divorce, we see sickness. And it's not minuscule. I'm not talking about something that's not real. This is real. But how in the world can Paul tell them, do not grumble, do not complain about anything, and yet instead rejoice? No, Jesus said the same thing. He said, in this world right here, this earthly existence, you, now listen to this, here's a promise. You can hold on to this promise. In this world, you will have tribulation. Isn't that right? But he doesn't stop there, does he? He also says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The problem is, is we're so focused on this. And he tells us not to be. Not that it doesn't hurt. It does hurt. There is real pain in this world. Even the Bible says that we grieve, don't we? But he says, you do not grieve like the rest of the world who has no hope. Listen, child of God, you have hope hope in the midst of your pain because of what Jesus has done for you. You never, ever have to be hopeless. And you can always be thankful. What happens though is we complain. Have you ever met, you know those people, right? The ones who complain all the time. Have you, you know who I'm talking about? You got someone in your mind, you're thinking that, oh, they, they got like 
They looked like a pig pen on Charlie Brown. You know, they got that cloud over them all the time. They sound like uh, Eeyore, right, on Winnie the Pooh. Nobody really cares. Now, if you don't know anyone like that, be careful. Then that means you probably are the one. I'm <laughs> just kidding. But, the, uh, but man, they just, they just bring you down. And the problem is, is that when we focus on this and we complain constantly about this, it begins to color even this. The misery and dark colors of, of this small little part of our existence. You realize that we're going to be like 100 billion quadrillion Google years in eternity worshiping the Lord, right? This life, the Bible says, is but a vapor. Appears for a little time and then poof, vanishes away. You're only here for a little while. Did you know that? A little while. As a believer in Christ, forever. Here, little while. But here there is real pain. And we complain so much about this that it begins to color that. The true promises, the true blessings that we have from the Lord. We become like hee-haw. Y'all remember hee-haw? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. You're supposed to go, oh! <laughs> Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Whoa! Gloom, despair, and agony on me. That's how a lot of people go through life. Oh, how miserable. We do not have to do that. I'll tell you, if you want professional complainers, you ought to look at the uh, children of Israel. Go back to Exodus and Numbers. Oh, these guys were professionals, man. I mean, God had done so much for them. Part of the Red Sea, gave them water out of a rock, bought manna coming down from heaven, delivered them from enemies. Wow, he was constantly doing things for them. And you know what they did? Complain. Read it, man. They constantly complained. You would not believe how bad it got. This is how bad it got. Look at this passage in Numbers. They, they're complaining, but now... Whoa! I'd have to throw that in there. Our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. What? All we, you know what the manna was, right? You remember that? This was bread baked in the bakery of heaven and sprinkled down upon them. And they were like, manna again. I mean, they could not be satisfied. Constantly complaining. But, hey, listen to this, man. Guess what you have? Do you know what's come down from heaven? It's the bread of life who saved you from your sins, who has given you eternal life. And yet, how often do we do this? Woe is me. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. It is so easy for us to complain, just like the children of Israel did. We begin to develop a philosophy of complaint. And the danger with that is this. Here's the danger. We filter everything that happens through that philosophy. Everything. I'm such a loser. Um, uh, this world, everything, everything is just awful. I hate my life. 
I can't stand it anymore. And everything gets filtered through that. You begin to develop a philosophy of complaining to where now everything is complaining. You're always complaining and grumbling, which Paul is telling the Philippian church, stop doing that. And one of the first things we begin to think is everything is awful. Everything. Man, we have been blessed so much, but we begin to filter our lives through this philosophy of complaint, and we begin to think everything is awful. We color our whole world in this dark colors. We get into depression because we believe the lies of the enemy, and we take those in instead of the truth of God. And it becomes a bondage to us, and it colors everything we do. I can remember Karen and I, I think it was last year, it was last year, yeah. We took our first vacation. Just us. No kids. Now, we had five kids. If you haven't had five kids, you do not know what an awesome joy that was. Just me and her. <laughs> but, and it even became even more awesome because as we were looking, I mean, God's creation, beautiful. If you've never been to the Grand Canyon, go. But it was just beautiful. But while we were walking along the rim, there was a family in front of us, and I kid you not. The kid, I guess he's about 10 or 11 years old, says, I don't even know why we came here. It's just a bunch of stupid rocks. I said, babe, I'm glad we don't have any children here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gracious. I wonder if that's how we sound to God. Died on the cross for us. Forgave us of every sin. I hate it here. God doesn't even care. You may have heard about the lady who took her grandson to the beach. Grandma took her grandson to the beach. How easy it is to complain. She got him all suntanned, lotioned up. Got a hat on his head. Let him go play. And you know what she did? She fell asleep. Yes, she did. And man, when she woke up, there was a crowd, and she was looking for her grandson. She looks, and he is way out there in the deep, trying to stay afloat. Oh, she was petrified. She gets down her knees crying, Oh, dear Lord, please, please, please save my grandson, please. And then, out of nowhere comes this huge wave, lifts up her grandson, brings him all the way to the shore, and puts him, places him gently right in front of her feet. She looks at the boy. She looks up at God. She says, when I lost him, he had a hat. (laughs) I really think that's sometimes how we sound to God. And here's the thing, when the children of Israel were complaining, they were really complaining against God. You know, in Numbers, Moses was talking to him. He says, when you complain against Aaron, it's really against the Lord that you and your followers are rebelling. It is really against God that you are rebelling. And you begin to have this belief that everything is awful and nobody really cares. And then it goes not too much further from that. Nobody really cares. It's saying God doesn't care. He doesn't care about me. That's what the children of Israel said. And we even see it in the New Testament. You remember Mary and Martha? Remember, Jesus and the disciples came, and I know all you women love Martha. Martha was working, 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 doing her work and getting all that stuff done. And she would look over there, and she would see Mary, right? What does Mary do? Sitting on her blessed assurance, listening to Jesus, right? 
And, and, Ma- and Mar- Martha's just going, trying to get everything done. And she looks again, and there's Mary. She's still sitting there, and Jesus is talking. She's have, listening to Jesus and all this stuff. And finally, she has had enough. I think she threw some fire on her face, grabbed her rolling pin, and she walked out there. And look at what she said. Teacher, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? And then I could just hear, tell her to help me, you know? But how could she ever say, Lord, do you not care? Disciples were no better. They were in a boat going across the lake. Big storm comes up. What's Jesus doing? He's asleep. They're experienced sailors. They're bailing the water. They're trying to do everything. But water keeps coming in. They're going to sink. They keep thinking, we'll yell. Maybe Jesus wake up. Jesus don't wake up. You know, they may not tap him on the feet. He still don't wake up. Finally, they're thinking they're going to die. They literally push him and says this. Look at what they say. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How many times have we said that? Let me tell you this. You can take this to the bank. No one cares for you like Jesus. When Jesus spread out his arms and allowed evil men to nail him to that cross, he forever said, I love you and I care. Don't you ever doubt it. Don't you ever let the difficulties of this existence color that existence. Because that is the greater truth. That is going to last forever. This is but a vapor that appears for a little time. But the power of thanksgiving, oh, and now, now that is something that is really powerful. I, I can tell you this. I remember so much better when people have shown appreciation and thanks than I do when they show com- criticism and complaints. How about you? I still remember, 18 years old, going to college, and I was working at Burger King. That's where it all started for me. College at Burger King. And I, I had slowed down. I was breaking down some boxes, getting ready to take them to the dumpster. And the manager came up and said to me, Steve, I really appreciate you. Even when it's not busy, you're always working. I still remember that to this day. And I also remember because I made some funny noise after he said that because I was so embarrassed. I was like... <laughs> But man, what an impact. What an impact our thanks has, appreciation. And look at Paul. He was rejoicing. He was thankful even though he was in prison. And this part right here, he's in prison. But look what he says. I will rejoice even if I lose my life. If they tell me you're going to be executed tomorrow, I'm going to rejoice. I want all of you to share that joy. Man, he was in a prison, chained, chained to a stinky soldier. I'm sure they didn't bathe. And this was for two years. Whenever he ate, whenever he slept, there was that soldier he was chained to. And he couldn't go out there and preach the gospel. But what did he do? He wasn't like, oh, man, I can't believe it, man. God, what are you doing? What are you thinking, man? I... He was rejoicing and telling them to rejoice. In Corinthians, he's telling the Corinthian church, about all that's happened to him. He said, man, I've been beat with rods like three times. I've been whipped. I've, I've been stoned, threw stone, and left me for dead. I've been shipwrecked. 
He's saying all these things. And I want you to, this isn't in your notes. You can write it down, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. And this is what he says. After all of that, you know, he says, that is why we never give up. Though, small ball, our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are quite small. He was beat. He was stoned. He's saying, our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us an immeasurably greater glory that will last forever. So, now get this. So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Do you catch that? We don't look at the troubles that we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we see, these here, will soon be over. But the joys to come will last forever. Do you get it? It is where you focus your attention. That's going to determine your thankfulness. Even Jesus, it says in Hebrews 12, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He knew the promises of God were true. Well, how do you do that? Well, it says in Philippians chapter 2, he's talking to them. He says, hold fast to the word of life. Hold fast. And in 4.8, he says, finally, brethren, he says this, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, repute, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So many times we're dwelling on this, and God wants us to dwell on this, the good things that he has done for us. Dwell on what things? Well, I am so glad you asked. Let me give you just a few of them. I mean, you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed from the bondage of sin. Redeemed from the kingdom of darkness. You've been forgiven for every sin. The little tiny ones and the one you are most ashamed of has been forgiven and cast into the sea of forgetfulness. Separated as far as the east is from the west. Not only that, you are co-heirs with Christ. As a believer in Christ, you share his inheritance for all eternity. You've been saved from sin. You've been saved from eternal death, spent in a place called hell. You have been saved from that. Your eternity will be in the new Jerusalem where Christ reigns as king. And there will be perfect righteousness. There will be no more sin. There will be no more sicker, sickness. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more death, no more pain, no more crime, no more war, no more poverty, no more injustice. It will be gone forever. That's your future. You have a God that loves you so much that he left the glories of heaven to come to this sin-drenched world and live a life of compassion and kindness. And he withheld his almighty power and allowed sinful men to beat him, to spit on him. He allowed them to chain him to a post where they whipped him with a cat of nine tails till the flesh came right off his bones. He allowed them to mock him and put a crown of thorns on his brow. All because of why? He loved you, that's why. And they took the crown off, they put a cross on his shoulder. 
bare to Calvary. And once he was there, he allowed them to nail his hands and his feet to the cross. They pierced his side. Blood and water flowed mingled down. He died on that cross. They took his lifeless body and they placed it in a tomb. And then that tomb, there was a battle with death. But death could not defeat him. Three days later, he rose from that tomb alive and victorious over death. And this same resurrected Christ bestowed upon each and every one of us the spirit of the living God. Your body, get this, your body is now a temple of the spirit of God. And this same Jesus that ascended into heaven, right now, at this very moment, he is making intercession for you. And one day soon, guess what? He is coming back. And all of this stuff and this little ball is going away. He's coming back and you can take your smartphone and throw it away because the only notification you're going to need is Jesus is back. He has returned. Now tell me something. Isn't that a much greater truth, a much greater impact than this? As bad as this can be sometimes, your future, your present is glorious. That's why the Bible tells us not to focus on things not seen. To, I mean, excuse me, to focus on things not seen instead of seen. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Fix your eyes on Jesus and not yourself. And when you do... In Philippians, it says you'll be shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Oh, let me tell you what joy there is in knowing our present, our future, our intimate relationship with the living God. The power of thanksgiving begins to work in you. First, it turns your frown into a smile. When you, a smile. When you realize what the Lord has done, hey, you can't be going around frowning and moping and all of that. Man, it'll turn your frown into a smile. But guess what? It'll do the same thing for other people when you're around them because you're going to be so different from the world. I just wonder if we had a scale here. One side were all the complaints you've given. On the other side were all the thanks you've given. Which would outweigh the other? Man, I'm telling you, the thanksgiving that we have should outweigh the, uh, so much the other. Man, when you, go into, when you go into, let's say, Taco Bell, how many times have you said to the cashier, thank you, I appreciate the job you're doing. Man, for minimum wage, we should thank them, right? I mean, come on, how much better does that do than our constant complaining? Be thankful. Help people turn their frowns into a smile. The other thing it does is it turns selfish into selfless. Paul talks about, I want all of you to share that joy. Share your joy. That's why we did Thanksgiving baskets. Uh, that's why we do food from the heart where we get food. We've been so blessed. When you're so blessed and you understand how blessed you are, you want to share that with others, don't you? It turns that selfish into selfless. We're so thankful for what we have that we want to bless others. And then finally, it turns earthly language into a heavenly language. You know, when you open up the windows of heaven, when the Bible does that, you open, he opens up and God lets us take a little peek inside. You know what you see? You see thanksgiving, man. 
you see praise. Worthy are you, are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And all of them around the throne sang with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Man, when you open up the windows of heaven, when the Bible does that, you know what you don't see? You don't see one complaint. You don't see one complaint because they know the truth. There are no suggestion boxes in heaven. It's perfect. And that type of language is the type of language that we should have right now. It is the type of language that we will have if we'll focus on the greater truths, the greater blessings, the promises that God has given us instead of this temporary, vapor-like existence we have here on earth. However, can I say there is one person that has a reason to complain? At least they have a reason to. And that's the lost. If you're here this morning, listen to me, if you're here this morning and you do not know Christ personally, you have not experienced what Jesus called being born again, you have not come to that place where you've put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ and turned from your sins and turned to him completely, then you have a reason to complain. Not a right, but you have a reason. Why? Because this... Existence right here is the closest you'll ever get to heaven. This life, with all its trials and tribulations, is really the best that you will ever know. If you really want to know the power of thanksgiving, then this is my invitation to you this morning. Receive the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that he has for you. It's really simple. He did not make it complicated. You admit that you're a sinner. You ask for his forgiveness. You believe Christ loved you so much that he died for your sins and that he rose again the third day. And you simply surrender to him, to that love. And he will save you. If you want to do that this morning... Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you're not sure. But you want to do that this morning. Then I invite you right now as we all bow our heads, close our eyes. Right now, for you, that person, you're not sure that you would go to heaven. You're not sure that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Then this is what I want you to do. While all our heads are bowed and all our eyes are closed, this is what I want you to do. Pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, I admit that I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And that he rose again the third day. And at this very moment, I turn away from all my sins... And I turn completely to Jesus Christ. I surrender to him. 
And I want to follow him all the days of my life. Amen.